Welcome to episode five of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRLP. And joining me once again is League Freak. You can find him on Twitter also, at League Freak. How are you doing today, King? I'm doing very well. It's cool to have our very first guest here, uh, and I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah, I must admit, um, doing doing an interview is something that's foreign to me as well, so um, this is this is going to be a good test of our capabilities as well, so I'm pretty keen to, to see how we stand up against an absolute king in the uh, journalistic world. Yeah, it's, it, you know what's going to be really cool is to, to do an interview and not have like a police officer sitting across from me and being told my rights. Again. Again, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree, mate. It's uh, this is going to be a good chat too. I, I'm, you know, I'm generally intrigued by the uh, the whole journalism world, especially in rugby league, and you get some pretty varying opinions going on. So this is going to be pretty good. Yeah, can't wait. So introduce our guest. Our guest today is Matt Attard. Uh, how you going there, Matt? Going good, lads. How are you? We're all good. Um, when we're not really good at this whole introduction thing. So how's about you tell us a little bit about, about uh, who you are and, and the work you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, oh, geez, mate, I'm not very, um, I don't know, I guess I'm not, not very famous or uh, into it in the journalistic world like you just spoke me up, but, hey, I like that. That was good. You can go again <laughs> if you like. No, no, keep going, mate. No, look, it's, um, yeah, I've been, uh, I guess, involved in sports journalism since I was 14 or so, and... Um, yeah, up until November, I was with Fairfax for almost nine years, so had a bit of a foot in the door there with a lot of things rugby league, but also mainly just regional here on the mid-north coast. But uh, I do have a piece coming up in Big League magazine, I think. They're popping it into round seven with mm-hmm. Lynn Anderson from the Bulldogs. So um, any Bulldogs fans out there, round seven edition of Big League magazine, you'll be able to see a big feature that I've done with Lynn Anderson. So I guess that's the next big thing coming up, but... Um, Mate, apart from that, I'm just loving that footy's back. Hey, absolutely loving it. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's like uh, this season feels like it's going really quickly for me. I don't know about you two, but it's like it's already, you know, we're already into the guts of the season. It's kind of strange. Yeah, mate, it's true. And we're already talking about yeah. Origin and I just can't believe it. It's ridiculous. Nah, yeah, I'm not ready um, for Origin, hey? No, nah, me neither. <laughs> but yeah, well, no, you're right. It has gone quick. And I think the footy, the level of footy has been... Pretty good. Um, I think we're not talking about referees as much as we were this time last year, which is probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, all in all, I'm, I, I agree it's going going pretty fast. But I think that level of footy's been up there, which is which is really good. We have had a bit of a, a mix in some of the games. So there's that Panthers Tigers game last week was that was a chore to sit through. Didn't matter which side you supported. Um, but yeah. You also get on the flip side. We have had a few good games. That, that uh, Parramatta Roosters game two weeks ago was was a bloody ripper. So I dare say over the coming weeks we'll have, we'll have the uh, comp even out a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think you're right, and I think um, that uh, you know that Manly match, Manly Rabbitohs, was a bludger of a game as well. I mean, what Manly made something like twenty errors, but that was still a good match to sit through, you know. And um, and then on the flip side, you had Melbourne and Canterbury, and that was a cracking match too. Um, yeah, beats watching the bloody BBL, that's for sure. Well, that's right. <laughs> beats watching the Bulldogs <laughs> the first two weeks as well. <laughs> yeah, that couldn't, have, that couldn't have been nice. No, it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice at all. Kicking the guts, but hey, it's um, from a Bulldogs fan's point of view, I think 
it's uh, coming around pretty bloody good what what pays doing there. So, um, you know, I he's got a lot of is, people. No, I was going to say, it's probably kind of expected a bit by Bulldogs fans, given the um, the amount of crap you've had to try and fix up there to try and get the club back on track so I can look forward to something positive in the future instead of worrying how they're going to get out of that hole they're in. Well, that's right. And I think a lot of fans, especially non-Bulldogs fans, don't realise what the club has gone through and, um, you know, what pay and Anderson and Andrew Hill and those guys have come in and, and I guess, taken over with what was left by Deb and Hasler and that kind of thing. So fans don't really, I guess, understand the depth of problems, depth of trouble they were in. Um, and they, they don't understand that it's they're still not out of it yet, uh, you know. So they've done a lot of good in terms of trying to ease that cap pressure, getting rid of players like um, I guess Clemmer, Woods, Mbai, Morris Brothers. You know, it's easing pressure, but we're still not in the market for a big name player yet. But and I, I thought with everything that was happening at the club, I thought it'd be a good few years until the dogs were competitive or, or were doing anything significant again and they seem to have made that process really um, really quick now which is good I think you know we all saw the last couple of games how good the Bulldogs can compete on the field even with such a young roster but um, you know those those young players that they brought in like Meany and um, Corey Harawira Naira and Lachlan Lewis and even Jack Cogger has, has been performing really well so I think it's good times for Bulldogs fans they just need to be a bit patient there was a, a lot of criticism from the media about the extension that Dean Pay got um, just a few weeks into basically his first grade coaching career, which I thought was a little bit unwarranted because he, he really stepped into a thankless coaching role. And, you know, he, the club has said that it's going to be a, a lean few years, and I think locking him down for at least the medium term has been a smart move. And, and for him, I mean, it's it's a gamble on his behalf as well because he's not going to come out of the next couple of years with a winning record. And even if they become a better club, the, you, whenever you start off with the losing record with the club, even if you turn them around, if somebody wants you out as a coach, they can always point to your record and say, listen, you haven't done that great while you've been here. So I, I thought it was good that the club really entrusted the next few years with him and he, he really repaid them because the first few weeks they looked they looked absolutely terrible. But against the Storm, at the very least, they turned around the effort side of things and they showed a few a few things that it showed that Dean Pay isn't just letting them run out these games, that he's going to try things with some of the younger players and really put in place a few things to see what they're made of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was a, you know, kudos to Dean Pay for doing what he did after round two. I mean, um, you know, he he didn't have to make wholesale changes, I guess, coming into the first round. And he, he kind of stuck very true to the team that was doing pretty good at the end of last season. You know, everyone needs to remember how well the, the dogs did do at the end of the last year um, when Pay came in and kind of restructured a few things. And then, you know, the first two rounds were horrible, but credit to pay he he wielded the axe and he dropped a few blokes and he brought in uh, you know he brought in guys and moved hopper to the centers and gave Meany his debut and Ockenbore is a it's an absolute gun he used to be you know he I remember watching Ockenbore when he was Harold Matthews captain for the Bulldogs playing in the second row and you always thought oh, shit this kid's going to be something good and mm. now he's come through and he's doing doing well and 
yeah, I think Pay deserved that one year. You know, it's a bit of faith that the club is showing him, a bit of security. And it gives the security to the players as well. They're not going to wonder, oh, you know, shit, we're going to go through the year and we've got the youngest spine in the comp and, you know, we're, we're still trying to get out of this salary cap rut that we were left in by past management. If we don't perform, that means pay might go and then who's going to be our coach? And it just creates that, um, I guess it just creates that uncertainty around the club. And I don't think that's something Lynn Anderson or the board would want to create. And, and that's why they would have given pay that one year extension. And, you know, to be fair, I think he's um, he's quite a good coach, Dean Pay. A lot of people forget his history in the game and, and what mm. he's done, you know, with the under-20s Blues as well and leading them to titles. And you know, he's been under Bellamy before. Bellamy's got huge wraps on him. And this is his first time in charge of a first-grade club. And he's inherited an absolute shitstorm. Mm. Um, so he's, he's doing really well. Um, so for the dogs to stick by him and give him that extension and, and say to him, look, you know, we're going to give you another year or two and, Hopefully you can get a couple of new players in that you want and start building the club you want, um, and we'll see how it goes after that. So, you know, full credit to the Dogs for doing that, and I think that's just, uh, you know, a great call by them, particularly because Pay is, you know, he, he is a bulldog through and through, yeah. and, you know, he knows the club, and, and that's what Anderson and and co. want to bring back to the club, you know, the uh, yeah. the whole, you know, it sounds a bit wanky, but the whole um, aura of being the, the family club and that kind of thing. That oh, my God, you didn't. You looked didn't yes, say I did. it. I could, oh. Sorry. No, oh. mate, look, I was just going to say, it's, I know it sounds like a wink to other fans, but, you know, they look in from the outside, oh, this family club nonsense, what a load of shit. But, um, no, I think it. I think it's. it's got some, it's got some real meaning to it. And I think, um, yeah, you'll probably see that in the next, the next couple of years with pay and, and all the players, and I'm, I'm actually really hopeful for the future. You, you, well, I guess you've got, to, you've got to be positive. You know, no point being negative, but um, I think the last few weeks, at the, in the least, have shown the effort's going to be there. Well, that's the thing that's interesting, is that you've only got one player in that squad who's um, age 30 or older, and that's Aidan Tolman. You know, mm. that's played so far this year. Um, so he does look to be building not just, not just a family club, but also a group of players, I guess, who... They're all going to grow up at the same time at a similar sort of rate, which means, you know, every game, every year, they're going to get better every time. So if they're, you know, they're sitting at well, 13 or 14th at the moment, but starting to be genuinely competitive, the only way they can go from here is upwards because that, all, that whole group is all going to improve at the same rate at the same time, which is a pretty unique thing they've got there. So I think it's best, I think the club knows that the best thing they could do is let pay, enjoy the fruits of what's about to come out of that given he's he went through possibly one of the biggest dog's breakfasts he ever had to to get to this point. He deserves some sort of some sort of success at the end of it. That's right, yeah, that's it. And, and you know, I think Pay said before as well, we're they're building a squad at the moment where it's young blokes that by the time in a couple of years or you know, next year when guys like um Lockie Lewis and Ockenbore and um Carrot Holland and all these young kids have got 50 games under the belt, that's that's when the club's going to be in a position to then go, okay, shit, we've recovered from this salary cap mess from a few years ago. We can actually bring in some other, you know, maybe some star players around now to, to build on top of those these guys that now have 50 games and, and they're going to be real, really up there to be able to push for a top four spot. And I think it's going to disappoint a lot of Bulldogs fans who just expect success. And that's just with any, I think with any sports fan, really, they want success and they want it yesterday. So, 
we just need to understand that it's you know Rome wasn't built in a day. It's going to take a while for the dogs to get back up there to be really competitive and and you know make an impact in finals or anything like that. That we're probably looking at you know twenty twenty one before that happens. But um, you know you got to go through some some hard times before you can get there, and that's where the dogs are currently at at the moment. But um, you know credits again to Pay and Anderson for doing the things they've done like bringing in Meany and signing Harawira and Ira and locking down um, Lewis, for example, and other young blokes in the squad like, um, you know, Ockenbohr, uh, because give them, give a couple of years and they're going to be, they're going to be up there with some of the best young, young blokes in the game. And they're going to be experienced enough to then take the dogs into the finals. And that'll, that'll be exciting when it comes. It's just going to take time. With, uh, when you look at this Bulldogs side, a bit of an elephant in the room is Kieran Foran because he's on a pretty sizable contract. He was brought in by Des Hasler, the previous coach. And a, a player like him, and he's, look, he's injured again. And I think he, I'd prepared to say he's only really played one good game for the Bulldogs the whole time he's been there. Um, does the club look to move him on? Are they able to move him on, do you think? Because they'd, they'd have to take another hit to their salary cap to do that, I would suggest. I don't know that another club would really be willing to bring him on unless it was Manly, funnily enough. Go back to Des Hasler again, do the whole Darius Boyd, Wayne Bennett thing. But um, he seems like he he could become an issue, especially if in this time out a lot of the young players step up and they keep their form going forward. How do you bring him back into the side if that happens? Do you think that his inclusion in the team is going to become an issue down the track? Oh, I don't think it'll be an issue. Um, I really feel sorry for Foran throughout all this because you can see well, he's still only young. He's, when you think about it, he's only he's only 28, um, mm. which is you know relatively young for someone who hasn't played as many games as he could have if not for all the injuries and you know it's, it, I, I hate I really hate going on Twitter and seeing the shit that he cops from fans because the you know the bloke can't help it if he if he gets injured um, yeah he might be injury prone that's you know that's not his fault but you can't doubt how much he tries like I mean he came back over the off season and first couple of games with the team that we put out in the park. The halves had, you know, couldn't really do anything. Lockie Lewis wasn't doing much. Foran didn't do anything. But then we played the Tigers there, and and Foran was Foran was man of the match. You know, he mm-hmm. was he was fantastic. Just mm-hmm. the way he leads he leads the side around, and then you could see off the back of that how good Lockie Lewis was performing. Um, and then you know he scored. Foran scores a great try and does his bloody ankle. Um, yeah. So I mean, it, it's going to be tough for him to come back, but I, I wouldn't say the dogs are going to move him on. No, I don't. I couldn't see the dogs moving him on at all. Um, I think he'll, you know, if his if his contract runs out, they probably won't renew it. Not nowhere near on the money that he's been signed on now. Um, but you know, when I was speaking with Lynn Anderson and and Andrew Hill at the start of the year, they were so full of praise for him for how he is, you know, around the squad for those young kids, and and that's the important thing people have got to remember as well. We can harp on so much about how. The Bulldogs have got the youngest spine in the comp, but you also do need that, those experienced heads around them to, to help them out a bit, um, you know, to nurture them. And, and Foran's one of them. I think he's a really, really good player with a really smart football brain. And if the Dogs can cannot have him on the field, at least they know that he's committed to, to be around while he's rehabbing and 
and helping the younger guys. And I think he's going to be a big benefit there as well. So, um, but you know, I'm just trying to find out now when he's actually off contract. I think next year. I think next year. Yeah, still at the end of next year um, until he's off contract. So I, I couldn't see the dogs moving him on. Definitely not. But I, I probably can't see them re-signing him after next year either. To be fair. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> someone else so, has turned now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I want to ask you a question. There's a lot of Bulldogs fans would like to go back to Belmore, and that's just not going to happen anytime soon. Um, the club obviously will have the rebuild of the Olympic Stadium coming up, which should be absolutely massive. Um, I'm guessing that they're probably going to play at a Parramatta Stadium for a while while that's being built. Um, do you think that when the new Olympic Stadium is rebuilt that these calls to go back to Belmore will be done and dusted for good once people realise how good the experience will be at the new Olympic Stadium once it's set up for rectangular sports? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think anyone is ever going to stop the calls to go back to these suburban grounds. I think they're always going to be there in the background. And I've got no problem with it, to be honest. Um, I think the, the upgrades I did to Belmore were fantastic and... Uh, I went to all the back to Belmore matches myself, and um, I went to went to the games there that we played, and and it was, yeah, it was unreal. It was great, and uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think Belmore's really a viable option full time, but mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why the dogs couldn't play one or two matches there a year, just to, um, I guess, to satisfy the hunger that fans seem to have to want to play at Belmore because it is a great experience and I think the players will get a lot out of it as well. Um, but I, I would like to see Belmore be a, a venue for at least two matches a year for the Dogs. I don't know if that can happen, but I would like to see it. You could probably have it for like some of the lower drawing games against, say, um, probably Melbourne and, and the Titans, I guess, uh, two of the lower uh, drone matches in in Sydney for Sydney clubs, but it, it's interesting because, like with the where all of the clubs in Sydney are having this big battle right now to try and get funding for stadiums, and some clubs are in better positions than others, and some clubs have you know been very very lucky. I mean, how lucky are the Roosters that they can draw fifteen hundred fans through the gate, and now they're getting a seven hundred and $50 million stadium built for them, which is, I mean, from what I've been told, half of it's going to just be curtains to block out all of the empty mm. seats that will be there. Um, yeah. But it, it's, you know, clubs are around the western side of Sydney and, and the Bulldogs are one of them. Parramatta's obviously set. The West Tigers, we were talking about this in the previous episodes, they've probably got to sort out their stadium. Um, Penrith is probably all right for the medium term, but looking long term, um, they might start looking at needing a new stadium out there. But it's interesting that uh, I, I really do think that this new Parramatta Stadium is going to show people what we've been missing in Sydney in terms of the viewing experience at games. And it just makes me wonder when the Olympic Stadium is rebuilt. And hopefully it ends up being the best stadium in Australia once it's rebuilt. I wonder if that experience will make Bulldogs fans think, wow, this is this is the stadium that we're going to be in for the next, hopefully, 50 years. And it's this is the future for us. There's no going back to Belmore. But you, you just don't think that's the case. Well, I, I think 
people go where they're told to go, obviously. But, you know, I think it does look fantastic, the new stadium. And and all the talk about, um, you know, the curtains and all the rest of it. Yeah, fair enough. I I think people will jump on board with it. I just don't think people will ever stop saying, oh, why don't we go play a game at Belmore, you know? it's a. I don't think it'll, it'll... See, for years it's been... It's been there, hasn't it? I'm, and I'm, I'm in front of the computer now, and I'm going to try and find that Back to Belmore website and see if that's still going. Um, well, this is the thing, is that, um, especially for the Sydney clubs, there's this, there's this massive romanticism about these old uh, grounds. The Tigers still right. have it with, with Leichhardt, and yep. the Dragons still do it with Cogger and stuff like that. You just look at them and you go, especially with Manly, you look at the ground and say, there's got to come a point where you realise we've got to bite the bullet and accept yeah. that this is not a place we can play games at every home game. It's just, it's got to right. be a novelty thing. That's and right. Just, and it's a business, you know? So Yeah. Um, and some, some clubs have got to make that decision sooner than others. The Bulldogs, to their credit, I think, have, have realised that a lot sooner than the other Sydney clubs and moved on straight away. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, no, you're um, not wrong. Yeah. I also think that there's a, a place for the Bulldogs to make the Olympic Stadium their stadium. And I think that at one point it kind of was theirs. Um, you know, as you start going poorly, obviously that changes a little bit. But, you know, I think that once they're into that new stadium, and I, I'm guessing it's going to be about a 70,000 capacity, but because of how much close to the action you're going to be, even if you get 20 there, it's still going to be pretty good, and I would just—I would really, really love because Parramatta's got their stadium, and and that's sorted. I would really love the Bulldogs to make that their stadiums, because because I think that South Sydney are going to try and push in the same direction. But I also wouldn't be shocked if South Sydney ended up going back to the rebuilt SFS as well. So there, there is the 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 chance that the Bulldogs could be the main tenant of that stadium, and. I mean, I personally, and I'm not a Bulldogs fan, but personally, I think that would be absolutely incredible for the club. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Uh, I think it'd be great if they could own that, step mm. up and own that stadium. Absolutely. I guess time will tell, won't it? Um, but, I mean, I guess speaking of that, it's that's been a lot of the talk on Twitter at the moment as well, is all these you know crowd figures versus TV ratings. Sport rugby mm. league really is a TV sport these days, isn't it? I mean, you look at the... You look at the ratings for the telly, and it's just it's huge compared to other sports, and and compared to how many they get at the games. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Do you think what what has to be done? Do, do you think the NRL care? Do you think it's um, you know an issue that you know that we're not getting fifty thousand to a bloody game, whereas AFL might be, or you know no, whatever? I but, think... but then on the flip side, we've got we've got them all watching on telly anyway. Yeah, I think I think NRL's known for a while that they are a TV sport, especially when you consider that you know the game is pretty much spent in that whole ten meter period where the sides are apart from each other, which is just perfect for TV. Um, whereas AFL, you kind of it's hard to get the full spectacle on TV because you you could just be following the ball, but there's so much going on off the ball as well. It's hard to yeah. capture that as well on TV that as you can with rugby league. Um, That's right. So I think. I think the NRL's kind of known it, and I don't think they're, they're hugely concerned about crowd figures. Obviously, no. they want them to be better, but if they wanted them to be enormous, they wouldn't bother having any games at small grounds. They'd have them all at the the Olympic Stadium there, and they'd be trying to do That's it right. again to, to pack the thing out. That's so right. The fact I mean, they're not you... really trying. You just go, yeah, 
they're not overly concerned. No, that's right. I mean, the crisis merchants that write for the Telegraph will have you think that that's a huge <laughs> issue in the game and all the rest of it. And holy shit, the game's dead. The game's dying. Blah blah blah. But uh, that's really not the case. You know, it's not the case. You're pressing Sorry, a button. We don't have to go too much into that. Sorry. You're pressing a button. <laughs> <laughs> let's get it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay, right. let's do this. Okay, okay. Now the Bulldogs get completely fair coverage by all media in Sydney. Um, and why do you think that that's the case? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, look, um, look, there's I definitely will, a thing against the Bulldogs, though, isn't there? And, and well, I've got, it, I think I know what it is, but so I want to hear what you think it is. Look, being completely serious here, it's it's about selling papers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, controversy sells papers. Mm-hmm. Crisis sells papers, you know, um, blowing things up out of proportion. That's going to sell you the papers when you sensationalise things and people see it on the front of the back page and they go, oh, holy shit, what's this? They pick it up, they pay their two bucks for a paper. You know, they've, they've made their sale, they've got people reading, that's all they care about. And, and honestly, that's what happens, that, that's what the Bulldogs are known for. We're going to sell papers. And I had a chat with um, Andrew Hill, not to name drop, but, you know, when I had a chat with him, that's one of the big things I asked him. I said, what's the go with your relationship with the media? Because from the outside in, um, wouldn't you just say, you know, you, you blokes just rubbish us in the paper all the time. We're not going to give you any interviews. But, you know, obviously you can't do that because you can't shut out fans as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Andrew Hill basically said to me exactly what I've just said. Um, the Bulldogs seem to sell papers and, you know, it's true. Everything that happened back from, you know, going back to the salary cap in twenty in 2002 and then, um, you know, the whole the, the Coffs Harbour rape case in 2004 um, and then everything else that's happened since then, the Bulldogs sell papers. You know, anytime the Telegraph put anything to do with the Bulldogs on the front of the back page, they know they're going to sell more papers than if it was any other team. So, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's the... <clears throat> A prime example of that is the whole Mad Monday thing, which was just mm-hmm. the mildest of, of incidents when you really think about it compared to, say, and a lot of people are going to hate me for bringing it up, but compared to, say, Greg Inglis's drink driving. You know, you, you mm-hmm. barely heard a whisper of that. Could you mm-hmm. imagine if, if that drink driving charge was on a Bulldogs player, for example? I mean, that yeah. sounds a bit a, a bit um, selfish, but it, it's it's true. If If that was a Bulldogs player that was done with mid-range drink driving and speeding, right? you, you would still be hearing about it now. And there'd be no character yeah. reference from Todd Greenberg, I could tell you that much. <laughs> and, and I think, look, I was thinking about this too this week because we knew we had you coming on and what we were going to talk about. And uh, like last week, the Panthers were in the spotlight and it was like uh, uh, Phil Gould is on the outer and I, him and Ivan Cleary don't talk and blah, blah, blah. And Panthers fans were kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, just yeah. get on with it. Whereas I think if you had a similar situation with Bulldogs fans, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, it's like Bulldogs fans are bloody crazy about the club. Mm. And it's a different sort of, um, I, I don't know, a, a, a mentality of the supporter base or something. I, I don't really know the right well, word almost, for that. It's, but, all, it's almost a siege mentality, really, because yeah, they've been yeah. under attack so often, they've hardened against it and they fight back against it so much more passionately than most other fans do. Yeah, and they yeah, really are right, passionate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, if if you had the exact same story about the Bulldogs, I think that Bulldogs fans would have gone nuts. And I think that they would have done, unfortunately, exactly what the media 
that writes this stuff wants them to do. They'd go out and buy the papers. They'd click on the articles. They'd share the articles. They'd share the tweets. And it plays into what the current media setup is, is that you're not looking for the best story. You're not looking for a good story. You're looking for something that creates a lot of noise. And I'll give credit to Bulldogs fans. They will create a lot of noise if they're not happy with you. And so you, you can make a lot of noise by writing something that's not great about the Bulldogs and and even to the point where you just toss stuff up or look for something that's a bit innocuous and, and make it the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. Just so like I think- Paul, Paul Crawley's ridiculous article the other week. That, um, fuck, that one fired me up. <laughs> but you're, you're spot on, you know, you're right. And um, mm. in a way, it's probably best most of the time for Bulldogs fans if we just bite our tongues and not give them airtime. But even going like looking at today with, with this, fucking wanker Anthony Mundine coming out with the, you know, no-vax thing. And, um, you know, Vossie made a point on Twitter to say, who cares, don't worry about it, don't give him airtime, don't talk about yeah. it. But you yeah. look at someone like Anthony Mundine who's got, you know, however many millions of bloody followers that he does, mm. and, and Israel Folau as well, how many followers he's got on his, not just Twitter, but Instagram and all the rest of it. When they say something like this, that's going to reach... So many people, so many people. Like Anthony Mundine has tweeted out, fuck, where's he gone here? Let me have a look. Don't vaccinate your kids, period. The government bully you into vaccines, right? So that's had that's had 126 retweets and 3,000-plus comments, mm. and it, it can't be ignored. And I think the Bulldogs fans probably feel that way whenever the Telegraph write a shit article about them. They'll, uh, yeah, the dogs fans will just jump on the attack and try and defend the club that they love. Yeah, Whereas, and it's, uh, it's it probably doesn't this... do too much good, but yeah. makes us feel better, doesn't it? Yeah, and and it's this day and age, it's really weird. There's a a thing of like, uh, you know, I've got attention, uh, and so I've been successful, and it's like, yeah, but what is what type of attention are you getting? And as you say, with that that tweet that Mundine put out, and look, I retweeted it and said that. Basically, that yeah, I, I'm against vaccinating children because they catch adulthood if you vaccinate them. Um, and look, it, obviously, the vaccine thing is a little bit stupid. It's not like something real, like the dome or that space doesn't exist and and the ice wall and things like that. That's actually real. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's it's the weird way that the media and and even people at a high profile now they look for just attention and no matter if it's good or bad and i think that as you say if you don't give these ideas and these articles the oxygen that they need they just disappear and the media will look to somebody else to start writing about if bulldogs fans decide look we're not we're just not going to give them the clicks we're not going to give them the attention and all of the the fever around a news article that they write they'd move on to another club i reckon yeah, yeah. See, I don't know. I think they'll always, they'll always have something to pick on the, on certain teams about, you know, um, whether it's the Bulldogs and off-field stuff or, or anything really. I mean, it's just, you know, I could sit here and we could chat about how the media play a role in the game. And when mm. I say the media, I mean the Daily Telegraph, mm. um, and how detrimental they are to the game. But at the same time, they've got so much power. It, mm. It's a losing battle. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to fight them in any way. You know, 
Um, but don't don't you think it's a a power that is being diminished a little bit by the fact that you can have independent websites, you can have I mean things like this a podcast which you couldn't mm. have had really twenty years ago. It was basically just the few newspapers and the that say the radio stations and the TV stations. Now they're having to fight against so many different things that are and even clubs themselves who put out now videos and interviews that they make themselves. Yeah. And now we're seeing the media almost have the mainstream media having to really fight and scrap for some attention because it's hard for them to get the attention that they want just putting out a, a regular article with a say a player that's injured. Maybe you talk to say Kieran Foran or something about um what his rehab is going to be over the next, you know, couple of months. Mm. Now they have to really fight and scrap for attention and be louder than everyone else. And it just it curates a really bad environment that you end up where you've got this media cycle, mainstream media cycle, where it's all just negative and horribleness and, you know, look at this terrible thing you need to pay attention to. Um, and it's it's really, really bad. And I can see where a club would shut them out because a club now can reach so many people through its social media channels and even um, their websites. And they don't. I don't think they need the mainstream media as much as they did. Obviously, broadcasters are different. The broadcasters mm. of the game are a different thing. But now you've got a point where they don't need to get a message out through a newspaper. They can just do it through their website and through their social media channels for the most part. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And I wish more clubs would do that. But at the same time, I think they have a bit of an obligation to places like the Telegraph because... They are still huge and they still do put out the physical paper that a lot of people buy um, and read. But, yeah, no, you're right. And I hope that that continues to, you know, to go down that way, you know, where, where we're doing things like this and, and the clubs are doing their own kind of work behind the scenes. And, mate, a shout-out to Nathan Ryan at the Knights. I mean, he's a uh, – I've known Nathan Ryan for a long time and he's a, such a passionate bloke and really good at what he does. Um, and you look at the stuff that he's doing with the Newcastle Knights and their social media, um, and it's just mind-blowing. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He has stepped it up, um, and the Knights and the team they've got there have stepped it up so much that I think every other NRL team should be looking at the Newcastle Knights and how they do their website and their social media and just trying to mirror it. And they really, yeah. moving forward, they have to. Um, and then that's, that's how we're going to, you know, get away from the whole negativity and, and you know, how how much places like the Telegraph just kind of love ripping into the game. But I think mm-hmm. as fans, um, yeah, you, you're, you're spot on. We can go away from that by trying not to give them as much airtime and instead tuning into awesome podcasts like this. I agree. And everyone should subscribe to it too, hey? I agree. Yes, subscribe, definitely. <laughs> yeah, look, I... Uh, I I was going to Sorry, say, go too, to go back to a, another point there, um, when you raised the issue about whether we should um, just ignore the, the negativity that goes on in the media, I've always had this approach that, while I used to ignore it, I felt that it wasn't, you know, by ignoring it, nothing was changing. It wasn't being fixed. So mm. I thought the best way to, to try and address this then was to actually address it and call it out when it needs to be called out. Um, whether that has any impact or not, I don't know. Uh, I wrote a piece back in 2017 when the Telegraph linked um, Khaled Kayat, who was arrested over a plan to uh, hijack a plane. 
I don't know if you remember the story or not, but it had on there that he was wearing his Bulldogs jumper and celebrating some picture they took off Facebook. Yes, yes, I and remember that. Yeah. yeah. I, I wrote an article about it and complained about it, and the next day they, they changed the headline and removed the links to the Bulldogs because it had zero to do with the story. It was just clickbait done to get people in there. Well, that's um, right, and that's even when I was at Fairfax, still still at Fairfax last year, and that is a lot... Uh, that word, or words, clickbait, is something that you get taught now. Um, mm. As a journalist, you've got to make your headlines enticing. You've got to make your photos grabbing, you know, grabbing their attention. You want them to click on that and telegraph to it better than anyone else. Mm. Um, and that's a prime example. How good is it for the telegraph to be able to link the bulldogs to a terrorist? Like, that's just fucking up there isn't it like you think to yourself how do they get away with it how can they do that but they did it and it worked didn't it like it worked a treat look at how much attention that would have got um, and, and thing, i do remember that, that now yeah that's the thing too is that even though they got shit on a lot for it and they mm. actually end up have to go and change the article they still got people looking at it and imagine how many clicks that article got before they changed that picture yeah and that's the thing. And even afterwards, you know, people are going, oh, what was this story that they had to go and change and go and have a look yeah, at it? And that's you, right. it, you still feel like you're not winning. But the, but the, I suppose the, the main goal is that you're actually trying to get them to be more genuine with their reporting. For sure. Yeah. But that, that's yeah, what you know, there, are, it's, um, there are some really good writers at the Telegraph, some really good scribes there that are doing some really great work. Um, Fatima's a really great writer. I have a lot of time for her, but then, I mean, I'm just on the Telegraph website now, and again, it comes back. You know, you've got your Phil Rothfield, Paul Crawley, and it seems all they ever write about is negative dribble and just hearsay and opinion pieces on why rugby league's dying or the game's shit or this player's trash or this is going on, and it's so... It's so hard to get away from, isn't it? It is. And you know, I, I can, I can stomach poor um, Phil Rothfield a little bit. I, I don't agree with him, but I can stomach him a little bit because he's got the balls to go out there and, and say his opinion mm. stuff. The one sure. I don't have any time for is Paul Crawley because I just find he's just an echo of, of Rothfield. He Absolutely. doesn't come out there with anything ballsy or tough. And the only time he's ever come across as being tough is when he's had to bitch and moan about the fans last year complaining about all the negative media. So he wrote a positive story and still had to, had to shit on the fans for complaining about the negative that's press. Right. That's <laughs> right. But he's just... I have no time for the work he's done because there's nothing in it that, that garners anything that deserves to be respected. That's right. That's right. And you look and at his background and why he's got the job that he has and I think it kind of speaks for, him, for itself, doesn't it? So, But there's uh, also something else that they do, and I think I talked about this at the end of last year on Twitter a little bit, was now you're seeing a lot of the media, the mainstream media cycle is um, see what our writers said about something. Rather mm. than writing about the actual event or writing about the game, it's like... Um, and I'll use I'll use Michael Ennis as an example, and it's nothing against Michael Ennis, but somebody will write a, an article saying Michael Ennis said this about Team X Y Z, and that's the story rather than what happened on the field or what's actually happening in the game. And so you're starting to get to a point where they're just talking about what they're what each other is talking about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of writing yeah. about the game, because 
writing about the game, you've got to make sure you're watching all the games. You've got to do a lot of work to really understand the entire situation and, you know, be an old school journalist, really see what's going on underneath all of the the sound that you just hear, you know, in in, in the media. You've really yep. got to dig deep, and it's so much easier to say, oh, wow, did you hear what Gordon Tallis said, you know, and, mm. and leaving out the fact that Gordon Tallis works. Yeah, it is. It's very lazy, and so whenever I see articles like that, I just don't read them because I don't yeah. really care, especially when it's things that, like Gordon Tallis is paid to go on TV and say something, say something interesting, and it's not interesting to say, well, you know, the – the Broncos are going through a bit of a tough time, but they just need to knuckle down and get it done. It's much easier to say, oh, this is terrible. It's never been like this before, and the whole yeah. club's in crisis. And and it, yeah. and they just write about the, themselves, and I don't like that at all. No, you're right. That's a great point you make. And then oh, I'm trying to think about the good the good stuff we've read lately. And how good was that Braden Burns article? That was unbelievable. That was so good. And you think... Why can't why can't these journos be pumping out those kinds of stories every week? You know, these yeah. really good positive yarns that are a great read. Um, yeah, there's a good one too about about Luke O'Donnell too, which was yeah. which is bloody insightful too. Um, it shows you more than just what was reported in the media at the time about you know there's sort of an impression made of him that he was just some sort of loose cannon, a bit of an idiot, or something like that. And then you read about why he was that way and you go poor bloke you know you can't help but feel that way and it's, um that that's what the journalism should be that's proper decent journalism and actually go to the source and talk to them about things other than what's your favorite memory of this and who's your favorite player you played against <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's actually right. ask some proper questions and get into who they are as people that's right that's right and i think um another big rap should go out to michael carrianis his yeah, series, good. He, he, the series that he did, you know, all those different parts where he had, you know, like he spoke to Kyle Stanley um, mm-hmm. and he spoke to Gerald Yao Yi and, um, and all these other people. How many parts were there? Were like 10 parts or 11 parts. Yeah. That was excellent. I mean, that, that is brilliant journalism. And, yeah, these are the things that we should be focusing on. But um, it's it's just... It's like we're cluttered with so much other nonsense that it's so hard to to talk about anything other than these dills. Yeah, well, it's weird because does. I used to write about. I got to a point where I was writing about off-field stuff for my site, and eventually you write the same thing. You're like you're, you're like I'm just plugging in different names, and I'm mm. coming to the same conclusion here. And I didn't like it. It, it burnt me out to a certain extent, and I. I just can't understand how some journalists, and look, they do it because they're paid really well, but it just must wear them down and really erode their love of the game to a certain extent, I would guess, because writing negative stuff over and over again, it just it kills you. It kills your love of the game. That's and right, yes. Yeah, it's it's something I didn't want to do, and so I would write about other things completely. Um, and, you know, I... I Imagine doing that for 30 years or something like that. I can't even imagine what that's like. Mm. Yeah, bloody hell. But I guess, too, a lot of them seek out that story, so a part of them probably doesn't mind it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's always going to be 
the ambulance chases amongst journalists. And we, you know, we don't need, even need to say who we're talking about, but, um, yeah. Say it. What's... Say it. Who are we talking about? I don't know. Who, who, who could we talk about? The ambulance chases. No <laughs> I don't know. The people, the people hiding behind pot plants, taking photos of people dancing the you know, Sweet Carolina and whatnot. Up in cherry pickers and... <laughs> oh, the extraordinary lengths, and look, I'm, I'm going to go into it. The extraordinary lengths they sometimes go to, and sadly mm. it does happen to be to the Bulldogs a lot of the times, mm. just to get a story. There was one a few years back where the Bulldogs had their Mad Monday at Belmore and they locked the gates. Ugh. And there was, there was a report like there was a, 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 a helicopter went over the top to try and see what was going on in there, and then they sent a, a, a crime reporter down there, and it's sort of poking. <laughs> Poking sticks at the bear to try and make a bite, and as soon as they did bite, they're going, "Oh, we finally got a story. Let's go report on that." That's right. I remember that. It was what was the name? What was that reporter's name? I forget her name now. But Jane, uh, Jane was it Jane Sapad? Yes. yes, yes, you're right. It was yes. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Uh, uh, was it Cassiano? Maybe Sam Cassiano. But they were actually, been, yeah. but they were watching a YouTube video. And it, they were having their celebrate because I think it was just after the grand final, and they're in a room in a stadium that's behind a locked fence, and they, they were watching YouTube videos, and the window was open, and they were mimicking the YouTube video. Now, I can't remember what the YouTube video was, but it was like whoever was on this video was saying some ridiculous stuff, and they were mimicking it. But from like 40 metres away, the media decided, well, they're talking about me, and it's like, what? the hell is going on like how far do they have to get away from everyone do they have to be in the middle of the ocean on a boat or something it was very strange and and you know it just showed that like sometimes the bulldogs just can't do the right thing even when they try it's like well they won't talk to us and then when they do get to talk to the players they'll just still rubbish the club anyway it's like at what point it must be very tempting for the club to just say, no, nah, we're not playing this game anymore. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, one thing that the Bulldogs said after the latest Mad Monday thing was, yeah, we're going to own up to it and take responsibility and all the rest, which is the right, I guess, the right thing to say publicly. But mm. at the same time, it's um, it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? And then that, that'll probably bring, that brings me to my next point where it seems like half of Twitter were divided, weren't they? They were like, well yeah, the dog should be fined massive amounts of money and they should this and that. And it's like, they can't win. Yeah. Like, no matter what happens, you're going to have people that, that just rip on the club or hate the club. And it's the same with other clubs as well. How many people out there, you know, hate Manly, for example, or, or you know, rip into the Roosters and their $400 million salary cap. So <laughs> it's just, it's not that, just the Bulldogs. It's, that's um, the problem is getting the rugby league community united against these things because so many people mm. still have that um, animosity towards the other clubs. But as soon as, the, as soon as it flips back, I remember seeing some Sharks fans um, absolutely having a go at the Bulldogs over their Mad Monday stuff, saying, oh, that should be fine and these blokes should be stood down and whatnot else. But when the Sharks at the sailing place story come up, yeah. it's all quiet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, right. You can't have morals towards one club and then abandon them completely when it's your own. And oh, that's, that's rugby league, of course you can. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that, that frustrates me is um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a Tigers fan. I got to this point a few years ago where I was able to put the the good of the game ahead of my club, and you start to see things a little bit differently when you when you change your mindset like that because you you start realizing that the the crap that you were forgiving your club for, you're actually hanging crap on another club for doing as well. And nearly every club has had the same sort of infringement go on at it. So no run club is actually generally all that much better than another. They've all done they've all done some form of salary cap raw thing. They've all had some sort of drunken behaviour and God knows what else. It's just yeah. got to call it out when it happens and give the same response every time instead of trying to defend one lot and attack the other. I guess. Yeah, and I get, I think that's why a lot of people ripping the a lot of Bulldogs fans ripping the Telegraph because um, you know there is that level of unfairness. You know, something will happen, the Bulldogs will do something and the Telegraph will rip on it for a week and then, you know, another team will do the exact same thing and it might get a little side panel in one of the papers on yeah. one day and that's it. You know, there's no consistency. Um, it's probably a, what a lot of people complain about with the NRL as well with, when they're handing down punishments and even, even just refereeing decisions. Like that. Consistency seems to be the big thing. There's not a great deal of it in the game. Which yeah, you know, I, look, I can't go on for a long time. That's true, and look, I think that the weird thing is, if you look at, and I'm not going to pick, I'm not picking on the club just because I don't like them, because it's not that I don't like them, but I think if the Bulldogs had done everything that the Sharks have done over the last few years, there'd probably be a big smoking hole at at Belmore Stadium. Like we would have had to have removed the physical club from the, the planet. Um, I don't know how the Sharks didn't get their premiership taken off them. I, that's mm. it, that's like some miracle to me because there are plenty of clubs that have had their premierships taken off them and, you know, they've only done one of the things that the Sharks have done. So it, that, that problem with consistency is uh, is something that the NRL really needs to look at and address and, and really be public about because... I don't mind if referees get things wrong. I really don't. I do have a problem if the video referees stuff up because they've got the benefit of the replay. That's Um, right. But and administrations, when they're making determinations on on breaking rules such as the salary cap or, you know, drug issues and things like that, play behaviour issues, then it definitely needs to be consistency there. And I don't know that we're anywhere near where we want to be in that regard. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Um, speaking of video referees, can we go there for a second? Sure. Yes. What oh, pisses me off the most this year? Mm-hmm. This could be a new segment. What pisses yeah. you off the most? Yes. What pisses me off the most? Otherwise so called a podcast, eh? Well, <laughs> pretty <yeah>. much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've watched, I've pretty much watched every single game of footy this year. Um, I think there's going to be a point where the bunker needs to just automatically be looking at tries straight away as soon as they go over, no matter what the referee does. Because something I've noticed in all the matches, the, a, trial, a trial will be scored. You'll have at least five seconds where the referee's standing there and he's looking at one touchy. He's looking and he's talking in his ear. And he looks at the other touchy and he's talking in his ear. Then he's looking to the pocket referee and he's talking in his ear. And then he stops and then he thinks. And yeah. ten, 10 seconds after the, the ball's been put down, blows the whistle. Oh, yeah, we'll send it up the bunker here. Yeah. We're going to look at fucking everything. Yeah. Right? 
it just it is so annoying and so frustrating. I understand we need to use technology. I think the bunker is a great idea, or for video refs, or for sending up, you know, sending up tries to check on them if the refs aren't sure. Use it for sure. We need to be smarter about it because it's so frustrating as a fan to sit there and you're watching the game. And 10 seconds after the ball's been put down, they send it up to the bunker, and then it's another minute until we get a decision. Yeah. So I, think, I, I, I don't I mind. Say, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead I was Andrew. just going to say, I think a lot of the problem comes down to how the public and the game wants the referees to be because there's, you get that small section that say, why can't the referee just call on the spot like they did in the good old days? And then you get the others that say, why don't they just go straight to the technology if it's there? And they're yeah. sort of, they're trying to please two parties on a, on a situation where you can't. You have to pick one yeah. or the other. 100%. And yeah, that's, that's where right. I, I don't mind there being mistakes in the game. Like, I don't mind the human element of referees because I think, for the most part, I think if you, if you get the referees together and say, look, we want, because referees are experts of the game and they're like cutting edge, no one better than the referees that know this game, right? And they make some calls during the play that are unbelievable, that you look back and you think, well, I think there was a knock on there and there wasn't. Or I think that was a forward pass and it wasn't. So they make some really good calls during the game that just get forgotten because they make the right calls. I don't mind having the element of the game where the referees make mistakes because when the players never make mistakes, then I'll worry about the referees' mistakes. (laughs) And if it does cost the team... A game, it's unfortunate, but I feel like over the course of the season, for the most part, it evens out until you get to the finals and then it starts to be a bit iffy. But I, I, I don't mind my, my referee mistakes, but I do mind when you get the referee second-guessing themselves too much. And so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of at the other end of the scale from the people that want everything to be about technology. I kind of would like to see less use of the video ref when possible. I don't mind them double-checking things, but you do see some referees where they're almost, they're like, oh, man, I've got to make a call here and I need to make sure that everything I saw was correct with everyone around me. I'll send it up anyway. I don't mind if there are a few mistakes here and there, just as long as the referees are really confident with their decisions and it's... It's an even thing, and I think that it normally is, but I, I have a massive problem when you go to the video ref and the video ref will make a, a call and you're like, well, I think that that call was wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, there is a grey area with some a few refer, video referee calls that can be grey areas, but when you see ones that are just wrong and you're like, you had 15 replays, you, you should be fired. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I, I just think I just think as soon as the ball goes over the line, the bunker mm-hmm. should be looking at it. So it's going to save it's going to save thirty seconds or so. That's that was my biggest complaint so yeah. far this year. It's just just the sheer amount of time we're wasting, even just sending it up to the bunker. And yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about referees making a call. I think if they if they are confident it's a try, but they just want to check, or yeah. they're confident it's not a try, send it up. But otherwise, don't make them guess because a lot of the times you'll see them just going. We have a, 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 oh, I've got to try, and it's like they're just guessing. You know, you can't yeah, do that. Yeah, and, yeah. And that just um, puts puts the decision, when it turns out to be wrong, back on the referee and puts the pressure back on him. So, um, yeah. yeah, look, the thing I'd change about that too is with that whole process is I'd scrap the whole 
um, referee making the soft decision whether it's a try or no try because I feel that makes that that puts a bias on what the video referee has to do. Yeah, you know when they go upstairs and they say, "Oh, it's no try," the video ref is then looking for a reason to try and overturn that, and it, it's yeah. that change of perception that's part of the problem. They should just be going there and say, "Right, is it a try or not a try?" and look at it with a fifty-fifty attitude instead of going up there going, "Right." Can we prove the referee wrong on their decision? And that's the way they look at it when they got to yeah. the video ref. And I think that part needs to be scrapped. Because that was the thing is that when we first brought in the video ref, I don't know if anyone agrees with me, but I think that was the best system we had. Where you just called the video ref, he looked at it and he went, try, no try, ref's decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I actually yeah, thought sure. that was the best system we had in place and we've been trying to re- re- rebuild the wheel about 15 times to the point it's now become a square. Yeah. Yeah, you're it, right. Well, it's like Golden Point. I mean, there was we we had a bunch of Golden Point games this round and all of a sudden the media was like, "Oh, we need changes to the Golden Point rule." And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Why? Like it it worked. We got winners out of the games. I understand that there's obviously a team that's disappointed losing in Golden Point. That's kind of how losing games works, but I, I didn't watch them games on the weekend and think to myself, well, this is a terrible system. It just kind of worked. And all of a sudden, the next day, there were a bunch of articles coming out saying, oh, this is what we need to change about Golden Point. And it's like, no, can we just leave the rules of rugby league alone for a little bit? We don't have to yes. justify all of our positions by saying, well, we're changing this rule today. It's like, no, we've got rules in place. Let's play by them. Give everyone a participation award. Yeah, yeah that's like, right. If you don't like losing in Golden Point, how about you wrap it up at the 80th minute? Mm. You know, we can't all have the Clearies, who are geniuses, just getting the two points when they want them. That's right. <laughs> at least we got to take his conversion from the right spot, though. Yeah, well, that's true. What was that? Like, that? okay, so... <laughs> that's another crisis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the longest podcast we've done. So Jesus. that's weird, because he scored... 10 metres, well, not 10 metres, maybe 5 metres in from the sideline, but he was kicking right from the sideline. And I've heard two different interpretations of this. Some people said you could take it out as far as you wanted if it made you comfortable. You can't go infield, but you can take it outfield, which is what I thought was the case. But then I I didn't think that was the case. I think you can take it back. back. I think you can take it back further, away from the post. You have to stay in line with the mark where the try was scored. That's just common sense um you know you can't take it wider i guess but you can always take it back further away from the post if you want to just to open up that angle a bit Mm. yeah and like see and i i so i had the rule wrong that i thought you could basically take it as wide as like you could go back as far as you wanted but you could Mm. go wider if you wanted i don't know why you would want to take the kick wider out so when i saw him kicking from the sideline i was like oh he's taken this kick out further that's kind of weird um and so that kind of must have come down to the referee saying to him look you got to take it out wider that's not where the try was scored and for it to be so much further out wide than the try was scored i mean that's that's terrible if that's if the referee decided that that's a really bad mistake and it it potentially cost the bulldogs because he, he missed the kick really poorly unfortunately but uh yeah, that was a very weird situation on the weekend. Yeah, I've never really seen that come up before, and it's strange how they could do. You know, no one seemed to have picked it up. I didn't even know about it until people started tweeting us about it um, mm. after the game, and and I noticed. I thought, oh shit, yeah, that's you know a good couple of you know at least 
at least three, four metres, uh, you know, close to the sideline from where he should be kicking it. But I know Graham Aisley came out and admitted to the, the error and said it was a big mistake and all the rest of it. But um, I don't... Uh, I don't. I didn't harp on that too much. I think it was a big pressure kick, and he's yeah. he's he's honestly probably the best kicker of the football I've seen since Hazamel Masri. Just the way he contacts the ball is is incredible. Oh yeah, um, the strike yeah, on him is unbelievable. He kicked two two from the other sideline, pinpoint straight down the middle earlier in the match, um, and I think just in that big pressure situation, kind of got to him. And and I don't I don't know if he would have kicked that if the ball was in the right place or not. Who knows? No, but, um, he missed by quite a margin. He missed by a lot. Yeah, yeah they would yeah. have had to put that clo- very, very much closer to in front for it to have hooked around and got in because he he did spray it pretty wide. The poor bloke. Yeah, he, he was did, kicking us. He, he was kicking it so poorly. The West Tigers gave him a call to see when he was off contract. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he wasn't kicking that masters. bad. He wasn't kicking that bad. <laughs> yeah, gee, should we talk about that? God, that was a brutal match to watch, wasn't it? It was, well, I thought it was the match of the season, personally, but um, it was very strange that you had, I mean, it was dominated by the West Tigers, mm. and then you get to the last five minutes, and the Panthers pulled it out of their ass, quite honestly, yeah. and for it to be, you know, Ivan Cleary's son kicking the pressure kick, and, and it was just, I mean, could you have asked for a worst-case scenario for the few West Tigers fans that were getting on the case of um, our Lord and Saviour, the Clearies, mm. who just, you know, all week it was kind of like built up as it was the Clearies versus the West Tigers. I, I don't think Panthers fans cared. Um, I think some West Tigers fans cared, not all of them. But it was just such a strange game and that it was an absolute bludger until the last five minutes and then yeah. something decent actually happened. Yeah. I just can't believe he missed a goal kick from in front. It's just yeah, it reminded yeah, me that of Kieran Four and kicking it under the crossbar from in front last year. Unbelievable! <laughs> it's always funny when they when they miss him in front for some reason. Even when it's your own team, you just look at it. And I remember watching that game and he saw him miss that one in front, and I just sort of laughed and went, yeah, "That'd be fucking right." <laughs> Boys, that gives me an idea. We've got to um, we're going to step up our game here. We're going to take it from podcasts. To a bit of video soon, and we're all going to have a goal kick. Uh, well, I was terrible at place kicks, and, and I haven't tried to kick for many years, but I was terrible at place kicks, but I was really good at field goals. And at lunch times in high school, I used to stand on the like the try line and try and curve the a field goal around and through the posts. I did that for many, many you know hours, uh, wasting my youth away. So I, I bet... Place kicks, I don't know what it was about place kicks. I was just terrible, so, uh, so yeah, likewise, um, I can't I judge in, too badly. In high school, I used to do the same thing, I, but I used to um, I used to wag certain periods to go out on the uh, oval and have a kick where my high school's right on the beach, Oxley oh, Oval, nice. yeah. where um, Sigsworth and all them used to play in their teenage days and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually quite a famous ground, but yeah, I used to flog out there and just um, have a kick around, but... See, I was always, um, in my teenage years, I was always such a big, massive, heavyweight bloke and I had no confidence, but I absolutely loved rugby league. So I wouldn't mm. go and I wouldn't play too often. I wasn't part of a team or anything. I might have played for the school a couple of times. But apart from that, all I had was goal kicking. Mm-hmm. So I used, to just, I used to just goal kick every afternoon, every weekend. 
actually got quite good at it. I think there's, I think there was still an old video of me on YouTube when I was like 16. I don't even know oh, if it would still be up there. <laughs> but, like, that, that gives me ideas. Let's do like a goal kickoff with all of us. How good that be? Kickoff. That'd yeah, be geez, cool. tell you, the only kicking game I had was very similar to Robbie Farris, and that was short kicking. Um, <laughs> grubbers well, and no chips. No one was expecting it. Yeah, grubbers <laughs> and chips. That was about it. Um, place kicking. I was I was very very average. Um, didn't matter what it was. I remember having two shots in front once in a um, at, at training once. And both of them hit the black dot and bounced back. And I went, that's oh, as accurate as I've ever gotten. I still couldn't get it over the bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Good fun. It's he's really weird, though. Form, hasn't he, Robbie? Oh, yeah, yeah. He has, hasn't he? Yeah. He's, 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 he's always been really good close to the line, though. Um, I think he just had that period under, under Jason Taylor where Taylor just didn't want him in the side. And I think it may have also been because the club were trying to get rid of him because of how much he was you know, taking up on the cap. Although that was the club's fault because I think Farrah had taken quite a few pay cuts in the past. So they decided to give him a back end of contract to pay him back. But then they tried yeah. to renege on that deal and that just led to all that messy stuff there. And I think he's showing that his heart was always in the club and he never wanted to leave. And he's come back there and he's been allowed to play his natural game for the first time in years. And you're just looking at him and going, he really doesn't look like he needs to retire just yet. So, no, no. But at the same time, I don't mind players who go out and they haven't played that one season too long, which I fear is what Thurston did. Mm, um, yeah, at least he's going out and he's going out and people remember him for how he played this year and they're going to go, hey, he was a, he was a good player instead of going, eh. <laughs> that's yeah. a good point, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to go that's out right. like Darius Boyd is right now who, <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a shadow of the player that he was and... It's really sad to see. I mean, I'm not a huge Darius Boyd fan, but you watch him play, and I think he was probably done last year, and I've said as much, but you watch him at the moment, and it's just, it's kind of sad to see because he shouldn't, you don't want any player that's played as long as he has and has achieved what he has to be pushed out the door and maybe doing it mid-season as well. And I mean, if, if you were picking on form, you wouldn't pick him in first grade right now. That's right. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Poor fellow. I think he just misses his dad. <laughs> You've taken that joke off me. Sorry. <laughs> I don't come up with many jokes. <laughs> uh, it is. It's sad, it's sad to see um to see a bloke. It's like he's not, not even trying, you know. It was like Bryce Cartwright last year with a couple of those tackles that he didn't even try yeah. and make. And, that's what I've seen from Darius so far this year. It's um, yeah, I would put Asako, who's been so disappointing this year, I'd put him back at fullback straight away. Yeah, yeah I, probably. I, probably I'd try Darius into centres. Mm. I'd, I'd probably put Milford back there. I I think Milford is not going well in the halves. I'd I'd put Milford at fullback, and um, I just wouldn't pick Boyd. I I think the problem with Boyd right now is that. Physically, his body just isn't where it needs to be for the decisions that he makes in the game. And there's just situations where I think in the past he would have made up the ground, for instance, um, coming across in cover defence where he just knows he he can't do it anymore. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it happens. That father time is undefeated. Yep. He certainly is. There's, um... Absolutely. Absolutely. 
there's a few other players out there too you can look at and go maybe they should but then you know people are thinking that about Farah too and he's just sort of sometimes they just need the either a kick in the bum or a move to somewhere they'd rather be and it's all of a sudden they come out with bloody stunning form I don't know what the solution is to Darius though to me I don't know if it's physical I think he's he's mentally just not interested yeah that might be a thing I think it's mental you know personally Watching him, it just seems to be a mental thing. Absolutely. Um, those those tackles, he didn't even bother attempting on his own line. You know, no. he's he has been one of the premier defensive fullbacks in the last you know few decades. And to be sitting there and looking at those decisions where he would have immediately dumped, you know, jumped straight in and stopped the try from being scored, to him just standing there and watching. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think that's a physical thing. I think that's in his yeah. head. He's just not. He's just not keen. He's not interested. And that message that that would send to the younger blokes in that team, mm. you know, would um, would not be very good at all. No, so I don't know how they fix that. I, Darius, I, I agree with Freaky. I think Darius probably needs to have a bit of time away from the game. Dump, dump him for a month. Tell him, get, him, get yourself in order. And come back refreshed and keen to play. Otherwise, don't come back. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's too tough a competition to have players like that in your side not putting in. Um and he's probably got his reasons for it. I'm not going to sit there and call him a P-heart, but um, I've already done that once this week. <laughs> and again. <laughs> well, I suppose that's true. But, you know, it's, um, it's obviously a tough competition. You can't... You, there's no wriggle room for complacency with anyone. The Titans found that last year with Cartwright. They took the, the tough decision to drop him. Um, I think the Broncos need to do a similar thing with Darius. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Not wrong. So is there anything else that we really should cover here? Um, I'm, I'm going to know. keep talking if you want. <laughs> so yeah, I, I quite like this, Sean. Yeah, I think we covered quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, it's fantastic to have had our very first guest on here. We're going to definitely um, try and get more people on and, and get people involved in the podcast. And it's awesome to have Matt on too because Matt wrote for my website a few times and it's Absolutely awesome to see how well he's been doing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great that he's been the first guest on the podcast. So thanks for coming on, Matt. No worries. It's been a pleasure. It's good. I love just, um, yeah, I have to do this more often. I love getting on and just shooting the shit. Don't get to do it too too often anymore. And now that I've got a bit more time and I'm just, I'll, I'm, I'll be off for the next, what, probably the next month, maybe six weeks now that my shoulder got done. So um, I How might have to come, that, on, come on again. Mate, yeah, believe it or not, not, bloody indoor soccer. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, um, was, I, I, did my knee, I did my knee last year, and the year before that I did it at rugby, at training, not even in a match. And then I'm um, playing, playing bloody indoor soccer of all sports, and I've um, made a save and jarred my shoulder back, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, that didn't feel too good. Mm. And um, I had to go to the surgeon, and it turns out there was the scan showed up. There was a seven mil tear. Let me just tell you my life story on the shoulder surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Seven mil tear. And then I thought, oh, shit, okay, no worries. Well, we'll have the surgery to fix it up because it's given me grief. Um, he said, oh, yeah, it might be like an hour and a half, two-hour surgery. Went in for the surgery on Monday. Ended up being an 18-millimeter tear, seven Jeez. anchors in my shoulder and my bicep, bloody three-hour surgery. I had wow. no idea it was even that bad. Um, so. I'm a bit, I'm a bit drugged up at the moment. Not going to lie. Yeah, but wow. um, it's um, yeah, no, it's good. It's great fun. So, it gives me more time to do this. Did you, did you finish the game? 
indoor. Yeah, I did. I, I kept playing for weeks. Mate, that sounds more epic than than what the uh, the, the Sims brother did the other day. Oh, mate. Yeah, with the busted wing. He's got nothing on me. No, yeah. I didn't. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, I didn't even think it was that bad. It was just, uh, I just can't yeah, wait for geez. Fitzsimons to write about the dangers of indoor soccer. That'd be <laughs> yeah. great. You may have got a concussion oh. out of that too, you know, when you yeah, hit the ground, that whiplash effect. Well, yeah, could have, could have. <laughs> Buddy, rugby league, mate, it's done it again. Here you are, you're a rugby a league writer. You've got terrible yourself a concussion. Sport. Impacts on everyone. It's Bloody the Bulldogs hell. effect. Yeah, oh. I was just about to say that. Crisis. <laughs> well, I think we... Crisis strikes, hey? We, we keep this up. We might get ourselves a job at the Telegraph. Fucking hell. <laughs> Let's all apply at the same time. So have you guys got a guest for next week or what? No, well, we haven't got a guest, a topic. Uh, well, let, me, um, let me work on something for you. I'll send a message to a mate of mine, a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sam McIntyre plays for the Tigers. Do you guys know him? I do know Tigers the name, fan. Yeah. You, you, would, you would know the name. He's in his second year as a development player with them this year. He's a Port Macquarie boy, and he's been a good friend of mine for a long time. He was. Um, oh, nice. He went through the junior ranks at the Newcastle Knights, played Harold Matts SG under-20s there, and now he's over doing great things for West Tigers. So um, he's um, just had a look at his stats before. He's been playing. He's played the full 80 in the second row for the Magpies, Every game this year in Canterbury Cup, and he's doing wow. really well. So, um, might see if he can come on the show and have a yarn with you boys. What do you reckon? Yeah, that'd no, be great. Fantastic. Sounds good. Sounds good. No, I've had a great time. It's been good fun. Well, thanks for joining us. It's uh, it's been great having you on. And no uh, Andrew, if you can tell everyone where they can get in touch with us. Yeah, look, if you uh, want to get in touch, by all means, drop us an email at podcast at com. You can also Hit us up on Twitter, as many of you have. Um, League Freak is at League Freak. I'm at Andrew RP. Um, Matt, what's what's your Twitter handle there, mate? Uh, mine is at Adard M1990, I think. There we go. Get on to any of us, and uh, yeah, don't 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 talk to to Freaky about things that he disagrees with. He, he gets a bit cranky sometimes. Right. You are an angry man sometimes, but you know yeah. what? That's um, that's good. That's good. They were getting a bit upset with you the the other day. I saw on, on Twitter there because you suggested that they are they they should be thinking about moving somewhere else, and they didn't like your your thoughts. <laughs> well, I reckon we've got a whole podcast to do about manly and what we should do with them. So I'm going to save it for that. I'm we're going to lose one sixteenth of our of our listener base out of that on that episode. Well, you know, it'd be like losing <laughs> if you said that the Roosters fans stop listening. It's like, well, one sixteenth really. Five, six people stop listening. Really? Come on. True. True. That's a good call. So, yeah, if you uh, want to get in touch, hit us up on there. And uh, once again, thanks, thanks, Matt, for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having us, guys. Probably be your lowest rating show yet, but hey, it's all right. No chance at all. No chance at all. Highest rated. Appreciate it, lads. Thanks so much. No worries. We're expecting this one to go gangbusters. Boom. Let's get it out there. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys.